Bam 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 Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less. I'm sitting across from the incredible Lisa Linky. Yes, you are. Uh, yep. <laughs> and I'm sitting inside of Misty Stinnett. Thank you. Uh, thank you for joining us. This is a full frontal Friday. Yes. This is our Friday episode yes. where we release an entire full book review. Oh, yeah. So we read the books, if you're joining us for the first time, the purpose of this podcast, yes. our mission statement yes. per se. Yes. Our raison d'être. Oh, uh, raison d'être. Raison, our reason d'être. For being. It means our reason for being, our purpose, mm -hmm. is that we are reading these books so that you don't have to or you can hear a preview of what to expect from the book and go buy it and yeah. dive in deeper if you want to. Yeah. So we are going to give you the main points of a popular self-help book we every single Friday. cover everything in an hour. Not in an hour. I mean, if listen, write us. Let us know if you want seven-hour episodes. Oh, we'll I'm going to go best. ahead and say no. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, to each their own. Okay, sarah, sarah. Okay, Sarah, Sarah. Yeah, but the point is we want to offer you the perspective-altering self-help advice that you, like, really, 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 really need but are in denial about. Or have been super, super craving because you're like, something's wrong with something's me. Something's wrong, and I don't know why I'm shaking all the time. Or someone in your family or your personal life has been like, you're fucked up. Yeah. If people keep using the phrase look inward at uh, you, you need this podcast. Also burp in their face and say, go fuck yourself. Oh, I'm gonna li I'm listening to go help yourself. Yes. And also we swear. A lot. It's, yeah. Listen, it's colloquial. It's how we speak. We're and two also, independent women. Thank you. And some of these books really need to be told to go in the fucking garbage. They're dumpster fires, and we're saving you from them. And some are great. So Lisa is averse to being told what I'm to do. too Midwestern for anyone to tell me what to do. Um, and I, tr I try to find the good in everything. Misty is from the Sunshine State. Yeah. And so she is a ray of sunshine. And yeah. if somebody hands her a dumpster fire, she will twist it into a shining rainbow. Yeah, I'm from Florida. It's the, the south of the north. The north of the south? Do you know what I mean? It's There's so many snowbirds. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. So anyway, we're going to dive right in. Yeah. Lisa. Yes. What if you... What are you presenting us with today? Listen, it's 2020, and I don't know if you've heard, but there's an election this year? I don't know what you mean. Okay. Well, in our country, every... <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm... Uh, and and uh, I'm going to present an, an, a memoir... Which is not a traditional self-help book. Interesting. But I really intuited it as self-help. Wonderful. It read to me as self-help, and it was very healing for me. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. So I'm presenting Know My Name, a memoir by Chanel Miller, which was released just at the end of 2019. Wow. So this is a, a trigger warning for anybody. Um, there's a lot of talk of sexual assault uh, in this, and... Um, uh, recovery and survivor in here. So if that's not something that you're cool with, please pause and come back later if you like or never listen. Yeah. Uh, we want you to take care of yourself first yeah. and foremost. Yeah. So if that's not for you, please take care of yourself. You don't have to listen. Go to one of the real funny minisodes. I will say if it makes you uncomfortable, if you're not, uh, or if you are or are not a survivor of sexual assault and you're unsure if you should listen mm -hmm. just because you don't know if you want to experience uncomfortable feelings, I invite you to, to try to stick along with us because 
This story is so fascinating, and she is such an incredible writer and gives language to such an an important point of where we are in our history with the Me Too movement and with women running for office. And I just—this is why I chose this book. Amazing. Yeah, and it's so recent. End of 2019. Yeah, it came out in— September, October of 2019. Wow. Yeah, it's very, very recent. Okay, great. Okay, here we go. The hardcover (laughs) is 2330, paperback 3110, Kindle 1349 after credits, and the Audible is 35, narrated by Chanel Miller. Damn. She has a fun little Do you think it's on Overdrive, the Overdrive free library? My guess is that it is, but it would also be a long way. It'd probably be a long way. Because it's super new. Great. Um, Here's from Wiki. Chanel Miller, born June 1992, is an American writer based in San Francisco. She first came into the public eye anonymously as the victim of a sexual assault which occurred in Stanford, California on the night of January 17th to 18th, 2015. The victim impact statement she wrote and read at her assailant sentencing hearing the following year went viral after being published online by BuzzFeed. Miller was referred to as Emily Doe in court documents and in media reports until September 2019 when she relinquished her anonymity and published a memoir entitled Know My Name. Wow. The cover art for the book was inspired by kintsugi, which is Japanese the Japanese art of repairing broken pottery with powdered gold, emphasizing the cracks rather than covering them up. That's beautiful. Know My Name debuted on the New York Times bestseller list at number five and also made number 14 on the USA Today bestselling books list at the debut. Uh, The book has 14 chapters plus acknowledgments and the full printed victim impact statement from Emily Doe. It covers from the night of the assault through the trial and her subsequent recovery. And so I chose this book because it's not traditional self-help. It is a memoir because heading into this 2020 election, I am feeling optimistic. But I also am feeling Wary of a repeat of the blatant misogyny that happened in 2016 yeah, in our media yeah, and in individual conversations and opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't trust Hillary. I just don't like the way she talks. She seems to have an answer for everything. Yep. The blatant misogyny that wasn't even recognized as misogyny. A hundred percent. The false equivalency of people treating these two candidates as equally prepared. I know. And equally qualified. I know. Um, I... I I was or even baffled. E- or even equally like, well, they're both bad choices. And yes. it's like, no. 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 Um, so I just want to set some context and remember the timeline here. Great. So she was assaulted in January 15, 2015. Mm. Her trial ended mid-2016, and the 7,137-word victim impact statement by Emily Doe, her, her identity was still anonymous at the time, was published on BuzzFeed of June 3rd, 2016. So very close to the election in November. The judge, Aaron Persky, in the case sentenced Brock Turner to six months for his three convictions, which was which incited outrage. And was he was subsequently recalled from his judgeship two years later. As he should be. And I can't believe it took two years because he is unfit to judge. Well, they come up. It's when their judgeship comes up for election. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. Um, Trump's Access Hollywood tape, where he admitted to committing sexual assault and then called it locker room talk, broke on The Washington Post on October 7, 2016. So um, July, August, September. So four months after the sentencing and her viral post. Uh, Glamour named Emily Doe a Woman of the Year on November 1 for, quote, changing the conversation about sexual assault forever, end Mm -hmm. quote and cited that her statement at that time had been read over 11 million times. And seven days later, Trump was elected. 2016 was such a fucking shit show. So I mean, it still is a shit show. It still is. So I, 
I think for me, choosing this book was really important because it's level setting for me moving into 2020. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Great. That's great self-awareness, Lise. Thank you. Yeah. I, I found it very healing. She's such a good writer and puts so puts into words the feelings and thoughts. We all know somebody who's been assaulted. Yes, we do. It's one out of three women, I believe. And by the way, whether if you're thinking, no, I don't, you probably do and yeah. just aren't aware. Yeah. So assaulted or harassed. Oh, yeah. For sure. Oh, yeah. Um, so uh, uh, I really wanted to do this before we get into the 2020 election in earnest. So it's right. probably in earnest right now where you are, depending on what state you're in and where the primary is. Um, I wanted to read more from the brilliant woman who wrote that victim impact statement. Do you remember reading that statement or hearing about it? Oh, yeah. 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 And I wanted to feel like we've made some sort of progress in the last four years. Right, right. I don't know that we've, we have. So I'm going to read certain sections that felt very, like, healing for me or very therapeutic or very— um, Wonderful. Like— just put language around it. I love that. And also, is anybody else's stomach tight? Like, I feel like 2020 is such a, like, yeah. we're heading for November very slowly, but you know impact is going to happen. It's like, you I'm, know, and I'm it's strapped like my stomach to the front so, of a train that's, that's moving very slowly. Like, and yeah. it's, it's about to, it's going to hit a brick wall, and you can see it miles away, oh, yeah. like it's heading. And then the, the other yeah. thing is, I love that you chose a memoir because it, even though it's not centered, like marketed as self-help or like, here's how you help yourself through a sexual assault or, right. you know, whatever that is. It is so much self-healing. Well, it's her process. Yeah. And it, I think I like it as self-help because she isn't saying, do this. Yeah. She's saying, here's what worked for me. Yeah. And this is my story. Right. And you get to choose what works for you or not. If you want to. Right. It's not being marketed to you as do this. And it also it also makes me think of what we've chatted about a few times where is there any such thing as true self-help? Like, Yeah, well, you'll learn in this one. It's not at all. Right. And you have authors around you, therapists, yeah. doctors, you know, what, especially after an event like that, I yeah. imagine. Yeah. But even so, it's like even if you just casually pick up a, a book at Barnes & Noble and you're leafing through it, it's like – well, there was an editor that helped get the words there and the a person publisher and an author you. and the yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. I, you and I and our strategy brains get very high level very quickly. <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay. So I absolutely loved and hated this book. I loved its eloquence and obviously I hated the content and that she went through this. Yeah. Um, I won't talk about chapter one in which she introduces herself and describes her memories of the night before the assault the morning after. I believe there's like 14 chapters. I did say that. Yeah. So she, um, But she was a student at Stanford. She was not. She was. She was already graduated. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, Alum an alumni. Yeah. Alumnus. Uh, and I don't even think she, I don't even know if she went to Stanford. I don't remember. Um, but it, chapter one, she describes her memories of the night before the assault and the morning after because she blacked out and right. doesn't remember the assault at all. Right. Okay. So that is very. Uh, that is triggering for people, I think, especially to— Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, basically, yeah. she went to a party with her younger sister. They went to a frat party with friends on, on Stanford campus. Their mom dropped them off because they lived. she lived in Palo Alto with her parents. Her mom dropped them off. Um, they ate dinner, and then they went to this party. They danced. They had fun. Mm. Um, she went outside to pee, and that's the last thing she remembers. And then she woke up in a hospital. Oh, my God. In, like, the university hospital. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so uh, chapter two. So she's at the point where she decided to press charges, and she's seen the articles online for the first time. So she's back at work. Oh, r really quickly, uh, tell me if I'm remembering this correctly. 
She wakes up in the hospital and she hears there's been some sort of like sexual assault or arrest or something. And it took her a minute to realize it was her that was on the news. It wasn't even, I mean, yeah. And this is what I I don't want to say this because this stuff is very triggering, right? Okay. But she didn't know even what happened because, and they didn't know what happened because she had no firsthand account. Right. But just to refresh everybody's memory, Brock Turner was the Stanford swimmer. The two um, Swedish bicyclists who were biking by saw this, uh, stopped him. He ran. They tackled him. They held him down until the police came. And then the police found her. and took her to the hospital where they then when she woke they um performed a rape kit uh, mm-hmm. and all that all, and started their investigation got it um but yes yeah, she didn't even know when they were talking like it's just because she was so hungover and so like she blacked out when yeah. they were talking about an assault she didn't know if they were talking about her or her sister she didn't know what had happened right and it took a while until like all the brush was falling out of her hair that Right. And the, and the, yeah, and the nurses. Okay. So here's what she said um, after she's back at work. She decided to press charges. The, art, the news article comes out and she started reading the comments online about oh, Emma, wow. about um, this, this woman, right? Mm. That nobody knows it's her except her sister. Mm. Nobody knows her. Her parents don't know. She's living at home and going to work after graduating after college and nobody knows except her sister and she said please don't tell my parents and she, her boyfriend doesn't know who's long distance etc mm-hmm. this, this is what she says they seemed angry that I'd made myself vulnerable more than the fact that he'd acted on my vulnerability drinking is not inherently immoral a night of heavy drinking calls for Advil and water but being drunk and raped seemed to call for condemnation people were confounded that I had failed to protect myself I treated the comment sections like Emily's personal victim inbox. I refreshed them every night, digested every damaging note. When they said, why was she outside in a dress in winter? I said, winter in California, you dunce. We hike in shorts on Christmas. I wanted to fix everything, straighten it out one by one, explain, explain, explain. But this defensiveness would carry over into my regular life. When my parents asked simple questions unrelated to the case, have you gotten a chance to mail in the, have you folded the clothes on your, can you take out the recycling? I grew tense, a childish hostility. No, I haven't. I'm busy. Stop blaming me. Stop attacking me. You're saying this is all my fault. I dreaded more confirmation that I was not good. Mm. So this is the main theme in the book for me. And I I think for her too, but for me it really is how this recovery bleeds into everyone's life. Yeah. The act the the attack, the one person's actions, in this case her attacker, bled into every person's life around her. Yes. And all the emotional labor. I think if we hadn't read Fed Up and yeah. talked to um, Gemma, I wouldn't have thought about it this way, but the amount of emotional labor required by her and her support system is enormous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I hadn't ever really thought about it that way. Yeah. Especially if you are trying to stay anonymous. Yeah. Right. And yeah. not let people know that's so much to manage. It is. And then to keep, to somehow try and keep yourself calm when you're reading those comments, how do you? Exactly. How do you how do you not implode immediately? And she does a great job of explaining the side effects of PTSD without labeling them specifically okay. and gives you like a real firsthand account of what it feels like on the inside. And I, I'm not uh, – when I'm reading these, these are just – I'm pulling quotes, so it's not like straight sure. all the way through. Sure. She says, what was unique about this crime was that the perpetrator could suggest the victim experienced pleasure and people wouldn't bat an eye because he said she orgasmed. 
from him digitally stimulating her. Oh There's no such thing as a good stabbing or a bad stabbing, consensual murder or non-consensual murder. College situations are softened, stripped of severity and any kind of seriousness, any real punishment. People read this story, heard frat, athlete, hookup, and joy. He said she enjoyed it. That word bank was all they needed for the whole scene to come to life. We get it, they said. They were hooking up. Things got out of hand. Haven't I done this? Haven't you? Even the fact that it was on the ground didn't seem to raise eyebrows. In college, didn't people screw beneath statues and stairwells in the bell tower in the library? The media was no help. They counted my drinks and counted the seconds Brock could swim 200 yards. Topped the article with a picture of Brock wearing a tie. Could have doubled as his LinkedIn profile. Oh, my God. I wanted to trim all the fat, all these distractions, to show you the meat of the story. I saw a man goes to a party, kisses three women, finds one alone who cannot speak, takes her into the trees, strips her, sticks his hand up her, is tackled by two men who notice she isn't moving. He then denies running, can say nothing about the victim except that she enjoyed it. Because when the police asked him, like, who was this person? Do you know he didn't know her name? He didn't know anything. Oh, my God. Chapter three. So this chapter is about how you're doing. (laughs) It's a lot. Yeah. I just, I feel mad at the media yeah also like it just seems like brock got good publicity it like he was automatically like like this is the thing i think it's part of our justice system that assumes innocence until proven guilty well yes and no because say this was a black athlete Mm -hmm. would he have been thrown up there in a, a, a picture of a tie or would they find the one with like a hoodie. You're you know what I mean? Right. Like, it just, it's so ass backwards. And, like, the fact that they, what the fuck does his speed and swimming have to do with fuck all? I do want you, you know to what know I mean? that my best friend tweeted the very first tweet about, um, was it the New York Times, I think, tweeted about him being a swimmer. And she replied to them. She was the first tweet to, to, to say, like, this has, you know, why or why are you tweeting his picture? I forget exactly what it was, but somebody did a is doing a documentary about this, and they went on Twitter, scrolled all the way back, and she was the first person. Was that Sarah, Sarah Fuck was the yeah, very Sarah. first person to do that. And when they contacted her, she's like, "I was." I felt like everybody would do. It. They're like, "Yeah, everybody did," but you were the first person. Yeah, the fact that it wasn't just like alleged attacker, assailant. It was like, no, this star this swimmer, p- potential Olympic athlete. Yeah, and the the point is, language matters. The way you frame things matters, it and does. it's not a fucking fair playing. That's field. right. So, in chapter three, this is about the questioning and criminal process as a sexual assault survivor. Mm-hmm. It's really fascinating. She also talks about her boy boyfriend Lucas. And how she learned that her relationship would prove important to her case. Mm. But she was just thinking about her body and not Lucas's. So it's really fascinating. So she ends up telling him in this one. So she says, we all have different ways of coping, self-medicating, ways of surviving the rough patches. To deny my messiness would be to deny my humanity. I don't believe there is such a thing as an immaculate past or a perfect victim. Yet now I felt I was being upheld to an impossible standard of purity, worried that failing to meet it would justify Brock raping me. His attorney would simplify, generalize, and mislabel my history. Yeah, of course. In other blackouts, I was responsible for acting a fool. But waking up to an empty McDonald's bag and crumbs on my chest was different than waking up with dried blood and clothes missing. Oh, my God. Isn't she so smart? I love her. She's so... God. In the obscurity of the blackout lived a pivotal difference. Rape required inflicting harm on somebody. The moment I was violently dragged into his story, my story stopped. When I was finally out of his hands, 
or rather when his hand slipped out of me, I was released back into my life. But it was during that brief passing over, that period where he took the reins, where I lost everything. I began showing up to work later and later, sometimes coming in at noon with no explanation. How did other victims manage this back and forth between worlds, the rotation of selves? You can't fawn over your co-workers' photos of Maui by morning, slip away to battle your rapist by noon. Mm. It required two entirely different modes of being, different worries, rules, bosses, emotions. Fuck. If this continued, I wouldn't be able to go and come back, but I was not ready to quit my job and give up my life yet. Every time I received a call from an unfamiliar number, my head filled with heat. I was wary of investigators tracking me, listening. Months passed. I had not told a single friend. Every email about the case brought on a surge of stress. It was not distracting. It was mind-wiping. I'd forget what I was doing, my mood sinking the rest of the day. I, I cannot imagine the—it the, must feel like you're being electrically shocked all day long. Yeah. Like the triggering that's happening. Yeah. The dissociation. And then like, emotional like, labor. Like, like when someone pops out and is like, boo. And yeah. it's that like, oh, God. That like jolt. it must That epinephrine must just be there constantly. Yeah. Crazy, right? It's crazy. God, I just so many props to her for, yeah. for getting through that. So then chapter four, um, over the summer, there wasn't anything really happening with the trial uh, mm. and the investigation. How long was it? Well, the trial, so there's all the investigation leading up to the pretrial, leading up to the trial. That's what I mean. So this, did this drag on for like well, over tr- a year? So this happened, so the 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 uh, the rape happened, or not the rape, excuse me, the sexual assault happened in 2015, but the trial happened um, in 2016. Uh, and the one other thing that keeps coming to mind, and of course this is just speculation, but he was seen by two sober cyclists mm-hmm. committing this and they tackled him and pinned him to the ground. Mm-hmm. But like cuz he ran he, away. If he hadn't been seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I mean? Like how would it ever have gone to trial? Like would it ever no. like it no. feels like she would have just been discredited and then like bye. I don't think he, I don't think she would have known it happened. Right, but I but but say you know what I mean? Like yeah. sometimes it feels like even caught in the act yeah. by these oh, yeah. it's like yeah okay so chapter four so the summer of 2015 she had the chance to go to RISD the Rhode Island School School of Design her parents I think her parents I think her, she finally, her parents finally knew but like they were like go get get as far away get, as you get, can you have the summer <laughs> off like just go yeah. somewhere yeah. be some you know so she went for a summer class just one class but once she got there she felt overwhelmed and wanted to drop but it was too late and so she felt like she'd made a mistake she says i pulled up google maps on my phone and identified a light blue stripe as a river i walked and walked and found it and then walked and walked along it and finally plopped down on a patch of grass and cried i didn't know what i was doing I didn't even know the name of the river I was sitting in front of. I had moved to a state the size of a puzzle piece, far from everyone I knew, to learn outdated printing techniques. That's the class she took. (sighs) What kind of idea was this? Why did I think I could do it? Emily had followed me, reminding me I was a go-nowhere, do-nothing victim, all caps. This life was too sweet, this kind of pleasure creation reserved for people who were not me. Mm. But then, also this summer, she started recreating herself. She said, when I was little, I never asked anyone if I was an artist. I just cleared enough space on the table to make room for my paper. I picked up my things and walked slowly home, preparing myself for the next day. I started coming in on off days, told myself I wasn't stupid, and started asking questions. I was teaching myself to ask for help, and in return, beautiful things were happening. 
So through this class where she was like over her head and did not know what was happening, she kind of found herself back to healing Mm. through something external to her. Does that make sense? It does. And I love the idea that I know that it's not actually called this, but I love the idea of a class being called outdated printing techniques. Yes, right. (laughs) Things that will never serve you. 101. Right. Um, Something interesting also happened. So she also talks about experiencing catcalls and street harassment. While recovering from assault. Oh, my God. There's like a whole page on this because it's pretty interesting. She says, these remarks peppered my walks as common as birds in the trees, strange men asking me, how are you? And me responding, fine, how are you? The comments felt too subtle to be consequential, like a tiny thumbtack inserted into a thick tire. I sometimes berated myself for being too friendly for the way I smiled back too quickly. When a man honked at me, I instinctively waved. My default was to mirror every greeting. But I realized... I didn't know the honking man, that I hardly knew anyone in all of Providence, and I wouldn't need to wave next time. No waving, no thanking, no good morning, I told myself. The compliments didn't feel like compliments when my body language communicated I didn't want to be looked at, didn't want to be spoken to. They didn't feel like gifts when they were thrown at me or whispered so only I could hear. Every comment translated into, I like what I see and I want it, but I don't want it, I don't want it, I thought. She took a video of her experience and sent it to her boyfriend, Lucas. Thank you, he said. And, oh, like a video of being catcalled? Mm-hmm. Thank you, he said, and don't send any more videos. I can't watch them. These guys make me too angry. I said, okay, and he went back to work and I sat on the bed. I felt like I'd done something wrong, upsetting him by sending them. Oh, my God. It also seemed like he'd said, if they're bothering you while walking, why are you still walking? It didn't feel like a solution at all. They'd forced me to seal myself off in a car. Because he was like, let let me send you money to rent a car or let me send you money to take a lift. But the point is, why should the person... That's right. She said, I didn't want to give up my sidewalks. I called Lucas back. That's not fair, I said. I just want to walk home from school. I'm not doing anything wrong. I should be able to. You can walk anywhere you want. It's not fair. Uh, it's not fair. You get to unsubscribe from the videos. You get to turn off the feed and you get to see it selectively. Yeah, it's making you uncomfortable. So, uh-huh. I, so don't send them anymore. And it's like, right. I can't do Uh that. She said, I don't have that option to decide not to live in it. I'm trying to show you what it's like for me. It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what I wear, how I act. It's constant. The harassment is constant. I have no money for a car. And even if I did, I enjoy walking. I want to keep walking. I was crying. Women are raised to work with dexterity, to keep their nimble fingers ready, their minds alert. It is her job to know how to handle the stream of bombs, how to kindly decline giving her number, how to move a hand from the button of her jeans to turn down a drink. When a woman is assaulted, one of the first questions people always ask is, did you say no? The question assumes that the answer was always yes, and that it is her job to revoke the agreement, to defuse the bomb that she was given. But why are they allowed to touch us until we physically fight them off? Why is the door open until we have to slam it shut? Oh, my God. Isn't she great? so well said. Isn't it? And this just harkens back to, um, uh, for for those of you who are just joining us or maybe have missed this episode, we had author Gemma Hartley on Mm -hmm. for her book Fed Up. And she talks about how women doing most of the emotional labor— actually contributes to rape rape culture. culture. Because here's the thing. When someone catcalls you and you don't immediately... You know, shut it down. Like as women, we have we Either have to shut it down or nimbly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We work have to na- we have to navigate it right because it's our safety. We don't want to make this strange man on the street angry, angry yeah. to maybe attack us, etc. So we sort of 
wave or smile yeah. and keep walking. But the point is, it contributes to- She said, our safety- Our safety. Depends yeah. on our level and our skill and emotional labor. Yeah. And the point is, the more that we buy into that idea- the more it contributes to rape culture because if we are saying if we are sending the message like and I don't mean we as women society yes yes, yes. if we are if society we're blaming sending and we're putting the all message the that on you her. can catcall and not get away with it or you can put a hand on my thigh and I'll just sort of you know lightly po- politely smile and sort of move it ha 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 it it emboldens people to go okay men to go okay. If I can get away with that, maybe I can get away with this, that sort of thing. Because acknowledging that the alternative is if I react in a way that you don't like, you can actually physically injure me. Yeah. And you can overpower me. Right. Yeah. Um, So she says, one night walking. Oh, this is what I have this story. One night walking home, it was later than usual. And a man pulled over in a car and he said, get in and I'll give you a ride. And she videoed her skill screaming at him. She was like, why would I ever do that? That's the dumbest fucking idea. Oh, my God. Until he sped away. She says, I didn't send that video to Lucas. I promised myself I would be careful about coming back from the studio earlier because she looked up and it was already dark. She was so into her work. But also, what the fuck? I know. Like She said, I was trying to save the $6 that that ride would have cost. It's really funny, asking $6 or safety. I knew I shouldn't have yelled at a man alone that night. Most of all, I felt the eyes. This would not count as standing up for myself. This was not considered brave. If this got back to my DA, I'd be reprimanded. The defense would argue she's crazy. She acts out. She screams profanities. Provokes men. She should. But you're not allowed to defend yourself. She should have ignored him. Why was she walking alone? She endangered herself. Asked for trouble. Always she. Always she. I never heard the voice asking why he pulled over. Why he believed I'd get in. Why what he, he felt might like do he if had I a did. Right to even say that. How much was I expected to take to absorb and ignore while they yelled and clicked their tongues so freely with no fear of being confronted? Was I stubborn for wanting to walk? Was I asking too much? The thick tire was now pockmarked with thumbtacks and nails. I felt the tire becoming misshapen, lopsided, deflating. I would not, it would not function like this. Oh my Yeah. So God. again, she does such a good job of like overarching societal and then also her experience as a sexual assault victim. Because they're inexplicable or uh, inextricably For her, that's right. Then she learned that Brock was back in Ohio. Like he, um, had uh, gone back. Fuck she said, thing. I hated how close I was to Ohio. He could come find me, could take the train. I turned off location tracking, deleted social media. I looked up gun laws. Elliot had legally purchased three semi-automatic hun- hand guns. Hand guns. Um, the guy, so she lived in the, oh, she went to um, the college where that incel went out on a uh, rage and killed a bunch of women here in California. Do you remember that? Oh, UC Santa Barbara? That's where she went. Fuck. And so she said Elliot had <clears throat> legally purchased three semi-automatic handguns, fully loaded magazine as easily as that one buys grapefruit. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was losing my mind. What if the hearing was a trap? I ma- Like the upcoming um, preliminary hearing. I imagine shootouts inside the courthouse, <clears throat> chaos erupting, ducking behind car doors, splintered windows, bailiff sprinting. She just this kept having. Terrifying. Yeah. So it's like PTSD linked to pre-trial. Yeah, anxiety. she just yeah. Well, it was PTSD from the shooting where she knew people and it yeah, was happening. Yes, plus, plus PTSD from this from the sexual assault. Oh my god! So she couldn't sleep. She couldn't sleep at all. I wouldn't either. Um, 
She said, it was on one of these nights after hours of lying still that I tossed off my blankets and picked up a pencil. I drew the two bicycles that had found me, bringing them to life spoke by spoke. I drew smooth handlebars, tiny pedals, lumpy asymmetrical wheels. I stuck it to the wall above my pillow, pressing it flat. An omen of protection. Send help. I rolled back into the sheets and took a breath. If they were out there, I could rest. I closed my eyes and drifted off to sleep. I just got goosebumps everywhere and like... Fuck. Yeah. I know. Fuck. They're her guardian ain't like Yeah, thank God they were there, right? And, and just that she could draw oh, yeah. like the symbol of a bicycle and being like, I've got people out there. You yeah. Know? Fuck. She's very I hate to say it, she's very lucky that they came along. She's yeah. And, and there the, are so and, many who and, don't and have this, you know, again. I think everyone listening, because we have the best fucking listeners in the world, already know if you see something, say something. Yeah. If you even have a suspicion yeah. that something is amiss. Just ask. If you feel you okay? safe, go over. Ask if they're okay. You know what I've done twice in my life? <clears throat> if I see a woman, and this this harkens back because I uh, a young woman from my hometown was actually kidnapped and— a couple 911 calls came in saying, I see a woman who's really upset in a car and like the chain of command just fell apart and she was murdered. Mm. Um, and it's it's very frustrating because like two people called 911 and this was a woman who went to my high school and mm. saw it. But anytime I see a woman who's really upset in a car, if I see the driver is like very angry or it doesn't seem right, I call. I call 911 and I say, this could just be a regular argument. I don't know. I don't have the context, but here's a license plate number. They're heading south on La Brea. You know, that sort of thing. Because it's better to be overly cautious than not show up for somebody who might be having a, a problem. So this is me saying, even if it feels weird, even if it feels like, fuck, I'm being dramatic, error on the side of caution, mm -hmm. right? Because if the cyclist had gone, did we see that? I don't know. Probably not. And yeah. just kept going, you know, so I just Sometimes encourage you know. Yeah. I, yeah. And I just encourage everybody to listen to your spidey senses and show up and risk being overdramatic, risk being yeah. overcautious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in chapter five, I want to read this. Uh, this is about the preliminary hearing. So even before the trial, there's a preliminary hearing. And it was right. set for the end of September, but then it was moved again. And here's how, where she really shares about how being a witness, like for her sister, also throws your life into disarray. She says, I already knew there were times she'd stepped out of class, pacing the hallway, too unstable to reenter the room. I knew she'd abandoned plans with friends to go look at lineups at the police station, gave up concert tickets, missed birthdays and makeup quizzes. Knowing all this hurt me the most, my life overshadowing hers, claiming to be more critical. The coldness of the court system, picking off pieces that make up a life. A minute later, my sister called back. I just want to make sure you know I'm not mad at you, just the situation. She had to call her and tell her that the preliminary hearing was called was pushed back. Oh I didn't mean to yell at you. I'll figure it out, okay? My eyes blinked wet and taut. I nodded, understood. I knew what it felt like to have nowhere to put the frustration, the way it infected our lives, caused us to lash out at one another. All of us lost. And then this moment made me really laugh. This is about their relationship. Before they appeared at the hearing, they had to go get, like, court-appropriate clothes. Um, and it says, it was dark out. We were at Kohl's, wandering around the gleaming white floors. I texted my advocate for guidance. She said something comfortable, respectful. Got it. My sister emerged from a dressing room in a large shirt with a minion on it, pantless. <laughs> <laughs> what would they do if I showed up in this? 
I said, Tiffany, this is serious, and walked out in a diamond-encrusted capris, a visor, and a shirt that said blessed. Oh, my God. I just, God, I love them so much. Sisters and siblings are yeah. just the best. So at the hearing, oh. they asked her, if you could tell us your first name and please spell it for us. Chanel, I replied, C-H-A-N-E-L. I said, it felt like cutting off a large portion of hair all at once. Oh. A loss, swift, irreversible. My name no longer mine, a secret I'd now have to trust everyone in the room to keep. And she talks about the, met- the method by which they question victims. It stunned me how seriously all of these questions were being asked, as if it were normal to recall every trifling detail, to divide the murkiness of casually drinking into a chronology of consumption, marking minutes between sips. Right. Time was dissected down to the minute, length down to the yard, liquid down to fluid ounces. Oh my God. And the moment she felt the tide turn during cross-examination. Do you recognize anyone in court that you may have hooked up with? The way he refused to look at me told me we both knew the answer to this question. No. This single syllable on my tongue felt like nourishment, tasted like something new. I wanted the two little letters to slip inside his ears like seeds, to settle inside his gut, to expand, pushing on his lungs, his heart, suffocating him from the inside out until he was overcome, bursting out of his buttoned shirt. I love her. Also, how do these criminal defense attorneys live with themselves? They took an oath. Uh, but uh, but can't you defend someone with other facts other than like asinine questions of like you recognize anybody here that you've hooked up with? You know what I mean? It's just so. It's. It is our criminal justice system. Oh, my God. And it's the fact that we believe people are innocent until proven guilty. It's not great. No, I just mean the discrediting. You know what yeah. I mean? It's not it's it's like in an ideal world you just stick to facts versus these sort of speculative in let an me plant ideal seeds world, in your mind. People wouldn't rape or assault yeah, people. I know. I just I just want to say to Brock Turner's lawyer, go fuck yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah. So again, um then she does some great stuff about uh, talking about her rescuers and how um, it was really helpful in hearing their reading reading the transcript about what they went through. And, Were they there? Yeah, they had to testify. But she's not allowed to sit in the courtroom while they're testifying right. Right. Um, in the hearing. But she says, we need to raise in others... Uh, what we need to, what we needed to raise in others was this instinct, the ability to recognize in an instant right from wrong, the clarity of mind to face it rather than ignore it. I learned that before they had chased Brock, they had checked on me. Masculinity is often defined by physicality, but that initial kneeling is as powerful as the leg sweep, the tackling. Masculinity is found in the vulnerability, the crying. Mm, so that's beautiful. Yeah. So then, after the pre, uh, preliminary hearing, she moved to Philadelphia to be with her boyfriend Lucas um, during the lapse between hearing and trial. And you know, she was just learning that like what we see on TV is not at all what it's like. Right. It's not compact. There's right. these huge lapses in between where your life tries to go back to normal, but it really can't yet. And, you're, and it's hanging over your head because you don't know what's going to happen. Like this, the tension of that uh, seems like it would be unbearable. Yeah. So there was this uh, this one thing I want to say. Um, sh- it, this, this paragraph made me think about how every single woman does this, but through the lens of a sexual assault survivor or victim who had pressed charges at 
changed it, it blew me away. So she joined this comedy group and was doing stand-up comedy um, after she had like just been so depressed and couldn't get out of the house. And they were all meeting one night, um, rehearsing, because they had a show coming up. And then they were walking home. She says, we left as a group and shuffled through the cold, discussing the highlighted flops of the evening. At every intersection, one or two people peeled off to go home. It slowly occurred to me that I lived the farthest away. Fuck. The group dwindled, my steps accompanied by fewer feet. I remembered a song at summer camp, singing as friends flapped their arms and flew away one by one until I was left standing alone. Only one short neck buzzard, I said, one short neck buzzard sitting in a dead tree. I began planning. I would stop in the bright cone of a streetlight as soon as the last guy veered off. I would call Lucas to come and get me. But what if he was already sleeping? I would run. I looked to see if the rest of the street was well lit, if there were people around to be my witnesses. All the stores were closed. I scanned the sidewalks, evaluated which route to take to avoid cutting through the park. If I needed help, I could run to the CVS two streets over. There'd be mm-hmm. people there. But I could already hear the questions. What was she doing alone at night? Why didn't she just ask someone to accompany her? Where was she coming from? Comedy? Is she even funny? <laughs> me laugh. Uh, how many beers did she have? What are her jokes about? Where was her boyfriend? Is there a call log? Why was what a man was she driving wearing? around prowling for young women? <laughs> Why does society perpetuate how... a, a climate where men think that they can do this or have ownership over women? Like, f- Why are we asking hundreds of the wrong questions? Yes. It was fascinating to me to think about it through a victim. So we already have those questions going through our mind when we're walking alone at night. But add to it somebody who's going through the process, this blew my mind and was fascinating to me. She says, the voices had amplified since the hearing, unfurling endlessly in my head. So maddening, I didn't realize the final guy had stopped walking. I'm that way, he said. Are you sure you're going to be okay walking home? I can walk with you. I looked at him, a little stunned. For a second, I thought I may have been speaking out loud, my face contorted and exasperated without me realizing. I wondered if he was only asking out of politeness and really wanted to get home. But he stood patiently, shrugging his shoulders up and asking. Happy to, he said. And like that, the voices dispersed, scuttling back into the shadows, and the two of us walked down a regular sidewalk, on a regular street, on a regular night in Philly. Mm. There were many subtle moments like this where I paused to look the person in the eye and attempt to say, if you only knew how much this meant to me. A small gesture, just remembering my name or asking if I needed a little assistance, felt like warmth on my skin when I spent most of my time being numb. Allies. That's what it means to be an ally. It doesn't mean you know, fighting somebody in a bar. It means walking somebody home because you had no idea that she was thinking about how the DA would view it if she got attacked again. Yeah. It's very high stakes. Uh, It was very. um, Chapter eight, there's just this one tiny moment of the trial. Her description of what it was like to testify while her family had to testify and wait while she had to wait in the victim room while her family had to testify. I can't imagine. To not go back to courthouse all week and then to listen to the verdict being read. It's it's riveting. But I'm going to read this tiny moment. During trial, the jury was forced to pick. Is he Holstrom? Is he wholesome or monstrous? But I like Holstrom. I like Holstrom. Is he wholesome or monstrous? Monstrous. But I never questioned that any of what they said about him was true. In fact, I need you to know it was all true. The friendly guy who helps you move and assist senior citizens in the pool is the same guy who assaulted me. A hundred percent. One person can be capable of both. Society often fails to wrap its head around the fact that these truths often coexist. They are not mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. Bad qualities can hide inside a good person. That's the terrifying part. And a bad person can mask themselves with good qualities. That's right. Um, Chapter 9 is all about uh, after the trial and writing her victim victim impact statement and the process of sentencing and how confusing it can be for victims. Like this sentencing um, counselor calls her and— 
you know, there's a lot of stuff that victims don't know because she had said, well, I definitely don't want him to go to prison or I definitely I want him in jail. But like jail is different means than under a year and like prison. And so there's all these things that like she didn't know. And it was really um, like her DA called her was like, why Why did you say that? And she's like, I didn't know. And she didn't tell me. And anyway, she says it was stunning. The effects rippling. Uh, so this is after her. um Victim impact statement was released. It was stunning. The effects rippling out wider than I could ever have imagined. I thought of my pain like my personal rain cloud. And reading these letters coming back to me, people sent letters into her, her DA in mm. the DA's office, was like watching the whole sky turn an inky black. When all damages were typed up and laid out, it was staggering. Everyone had become a victim of this crime. Everyone had their story, had doors they secretly suffered behind. Mm. Which leads me to your homework, Misty. I'm going to tell you now. Okay. I want you to think about, there's no way you can calculate it, but I just want you to think about how much time you've taken in your life and or the cost it has taken on your life to think and worry and support friends who've been victim of assault or harassment. Yeah. Jesus. Yep. Okay, I will try. Yeah. Um, Real quick, can I just circle back to the monster, monstrous versus wholesome? Yeah. And this has become a real superpower and and powerful tool for me recognizing false dichotomies yeah because they're everywhere yeah. so if any if you ever feel like someone's saying it's also choice very a north american choice b thing. yeah right absolutely but it's it's something like whenever somebody says like okay wholesome or monstrous or like slut or virgin or whatever that is any any kind of thing like oh okay well do you hate it or do you love it you you have every right to go, I think that's a false choice. I think you're creating a false dichotomy, you mm-hmm. know, just to think critically about that and say it's not it's not Everything's either on a or. spectrum. Yeah, but but I've seen it come up in so many textbooks. The media all the time does yeah. this. So if this is something that that you know you're not aware of Start to see if you can find false dichotomies. It's well, really powerful. part of it is the way that our brain learns, right? Like yes. we learn by differentiating. We like black and white. We do, and yeah. we learn by n- not in the political or or social terms segregating. We yeah. the way that we learn that a cat is not a dog is by, <laughs> but they're yeah. both furry. They both have four legs, yeah. whiskers, and tails. Yeah. yeah, but we have to distinguish them, yeah. right? And so our brain learns very on, and that's how we make sense of the world. Yeah. So it's it's in our very nature yeah. to make things one or the other. Absolutely. But the world doesn't exist in black and white, it like doesn't. you said. And circling back to what you said about the the upcoming election, mm-hmm. as you're listening to the candidates, see if you can recognize when they are yeah. presenting a false dichotomy. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. It's, it behooves them to. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, the blow of sentencing, she says, the judge had given Brock something that would never be extended to me, empathy. My pain was never more valuable than his potential. Fuck. Because remember, he got like six months or something like that. Oh, because he said he didn't want to ruin the career of blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, So actually, uh, I want to make a correction. When I said that people were writing in for a victim impact statement with all those letters, Mm -hmm. her victim impact statement hadn't been released yet. People were just writing into the DA knowing about this story being reported. Right. Saying, and she I was too, still Emily I too. Joe. That's right, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and so chapter 10, her victim impact statement is released. Chapter 11, she's getting back to her, her life after the trial. And this speaks to about what kind of a person she is. She says, Brock's mother wrote in her victim impact statement to, to the court, right? 
not her victim impact statement, but her um, her statement, her statement about right. the Brock's defendant, character. defendant, right? Yeah. My first thought upon waking every morning is, this isn't real. This can't be real. Why him? Why him? Why? Why? And Chanel says, I have never wondered why me. The only thing running through my head when my sister picked me up that morning was, thank God me. Thank God me and not her, not Julia, not an 18-year-old who would have had to forego schooling. I was privileged enough to have completed my education and be in stable circumstances. I had a home not too far from the courthouse where I could recuperate after proceedings. I had two parents who clicked off my light and covered me in a blanket when I fell asleep. Mm. I had money saved. In a strange way, I was prepared to go on this journey. My God. Also, why him? Ask Brock. He did it. He's not a victim of this. What the fuck, Miss Turner? So chapter 12, this is what helped put it into context for me and why her victim impact statement was so important. So after the trial, what happened next in our country? She says, only five months after I read my statement in court, Trump was elected. I was hit by the same feeling I'd had when the judge said six months, blindsided, disappointed, wrecked. This was locker room banter, a private conversation that took place many years ago. Instead of apologizing, he dragged it from the bus to the locker room, another place inaccessible to women. He never said it was supposed to be different, only said it was supposed to be private. He intended to keep us out. We were never meant to hear. He was not sorry for what he said, just sorry he was caught. Trump sounded like someone I knew. I'd just start kissing them. Just kiss. I don't even wait. I kissed her, Brock said, and you didn't ask her permission before you kissed her, did you? My DA said, no, Brock said. I moved on her like a bitch. I kissed her cheek and ear, Brock said. I touched her breasts. I moved her dress down. Grab him by the pussy. I took off her underwear, and then I fingered her. I did try and fuck her. We live in a time where it has become difficult to distinguish between the president's words and that of a 19-year-old assailant. Uh-huh. She uh, says, society... Let me oh, keep going. Uh, society gives women the near-impossible task of separating harmlessness from danger, the foresight of knowing what some men are capable of. When we call out assault when we hear it, Trump says, I don't think you understand. Just words. You're overreacting. Overly offended. Hysterical. Rude. Relax. So we dismiss threatening statements and warning signs, apologizing for our paranoia. We go to a party or a meeting thinking it's just a party or meeting. But when we are taken advantage of and come crawling back damaged, they say, how could you be so naive? You failed to detect danger. You let your guard down. What did you think would happen? Trump made it clear the game is rigged. The rules keep changing. It doesn't matter what you think is assault because in the end, he decides. Oh, my God. The problem is not who we are. The problem is what you think we are. The realities you cast on us, that Philando Castile would be violent, that I'd ask for sex behind a dumpster. So she's bringing in larger context of not just sex, but also race. Yes. In his testimony, I heard the familiar expectation that a victim be flawless in order to be worthy of a life. The audacity to smoke marijuana provided sufficient sufficient reason to die. The defense calling me a party animal meant I, too, deserve to be raped. He was not forced to acknowledge the facts of his present. He was talked about in terms of his lost potential, what he would never be rather than what he is. They spoke as if his future was patiently waiting for him to step into it. Most of us understand that your future is not promised to you. It is constructed day by day through the choices you make. Your future is earned little by little through hard work and action. If you don't act accordingly, that dream dissolves. If punishment is based on potential, privileged people will all be given lighter sentences." Brock was shielded inside projections of what people like him grow up to become or are supposed to become. Orthopedic surgeon, biomedical engineer, all-American athlete, Olympian. The judge argued he'd already lost so much, given up so many opportunities. What happened to those who start off with little to lose? Instead of a 19-year-old Stanford athlete, let's imagine a Hispanic 19-year-old working the kitchen of the fraternity commits the same crime. Yes. Does this story end differently? Does the Washington Post call him a surgeon? 
Nope. In this system, who is untouchable? Who is disposable? Whose lives are we intent on preserving? White men. Who goes unaccounted for? Everyone else. Who is the true disruptor? (laughs) The one firing, the one fingering, who created a problem that there never was one? When you say go to the police, what do you envision? I was grateful for my team, but the police will move on to other cases while the victim is left in the agonizing, protracted judicial process where she will be made to question and then forget who she is. You were just physically attacked? Here's some information on how you can enter a multi-year process of verbal abuse. Often it seems easier to suffer rape alone than face the dismembering that comes with the seeking support. When a victim does go for help, she's seen as attacking the assailant. These are separate. Seeking aid is her primary motive. His fallout is a secondary effect. But we are taught if you speak, something bad happens to him. You will be blamed for every job he doesn't get, every game he doesn't play. His family, friends, community, team will unleash hell on you. Are you sure you want that? We force her to think hard about what this will mean for his life, even though he never considered what his actions would do to her. Inherently, the victim is outnumbered. She is the sole object of his sexual aggression, expected to single-handedly undo all of their staunch beliefs. When society questions a victim's reluctance to report, I will be here to remind you that you ask us to sacrifice our sanity to fight outdated structures that were designed to keep us down. Victims do not have time for this. Victims are also students, teachers, parents who can't give up work or education. Mm -hmm. The average adult can barely find time to renew their license at the DMV. Thank you. It is not reasonable to casually demand that victims put aside their lives to spend more time pursuing something they never asked for in the first place. Thank you. This is not about the victim's lack of effort. This is about society's failure to have systems in place in which victims feel there's a probable chance of achieving safety, justice, and restoration rather than being re-traumatized, publicly shamed, psychologically tormented, and verbally mauled. The real question we need to be asking is not why didn't she report? The question is, why would you? High-powered men came down one after another. She's talking about after Me Too. Mm -hmm. Or rather, women came forward. And as a result, these men came down. Mm -hmm. But it was never an eye for an eye. It was an eye for dozens of eyes. These men failed to realize that throughout the years, they preyed on woman after woman. They'd created multiple witnesses, more than one backer. And thank God, because Mm -hmm. one apparently is never enough. Cosby, 60. Weinstein, 87. Nasser, 169. The news used phrases like avalanche of accusations, tsunami of stories, sea change. The metaphors were correct in that they were catastrophic and devastating, but it was wrong to compare them to natural disasters, for they were not natural at all, solely man-made. Call it a tsunami, but do not lose sight of the fact that each life is a single drop, how many drops it took to make a single wave. The loss is incomprehensible, staggering, maddening. We should have caught it when it was no more than a drip. Instead, society is flooded with survivors coming forward, dozens for every man, just so that one day, in his old age, he might feel a taste of what it was like for them all along. (sighs) So, chapter 13, she watched Larry Nassar's trial, and then it was all about Stanford. They wanted to to erect this, like, they wanted to remove this space behind the dumpsters of the frat and like make a commemorative garden or something it was all this back and forth about how they really basically didn't do shit for her yeah um and then they were like can you give us words for a plaque and she wrote something and they were like that's too we don't want that Ooh, no not from that experience so she wrote i thought more about anger the art piece i would create a more fitting tribute a piece called construction each victim is given a nail for every day she has lived with what happened to her There's a haphazard pile of wood at the center of campus. Victims can come as they please, hammering nails into the wood. All day, people hear banging, all the drilling and incessant interruption. 
this is a lot of what surviving is like. Fuck, I love Trying that. to carry on and get work done while your past pounds into you, distracts you, makes it impossible. And at the end, there'd be an immense wooden structure randomly nailed together, large, useless, pointy, and dangerous in the middle of everything. People forced to walk around it, interrupting the pretty view of the trees. This is also what assault feels like. What to do with this, where to put it, what is it? Victims exist in a society that tells us our purpose is to be an inspiring story. But sometimes the best we can do is tell you we're still here and that should be enough. Mm. Denying darkness does not bring anyone closer to the light. No, it does not. When you hear a story about rape, all the graphic and unsettling details, resist the instinct to turn away. Instead, look closer. Because underneath the gore and police reports is a whole beautiful person looking for ways to be in the world again. Last chapter, chapter 14, um, the judge in her case was recalled. And then uh, Kavanaugh was testifying, and she does this great job of weaving in larger societal implications of assault. So two paragraphs here. The day I'd read my statement, I'd gone home believing I had failed. How many victims had been insulted, made small, because there were no other voices to counter that belief? How many of us have been made to feel humiliated, melodramatic, instead of brilliant and brave? One man could have kept me from awakening millions. Yes. Question who you, what question who your realities are being written by. Reexamine who dictates it. Who decides you are important, just like you were saying about the dichotomies. Oh. The judge was not God. He was one man wearing a black smock, head of a small domain, ruler of a one-room kingdom on Grant Avenue. He was not the sole truth speaker, the rule maker, the final word. He was an elected official, voted out by 62%. Great. Okay, so this is the last um, little bit here, and I love this. It says, I began this story alone as a half-naked body. I remembered nothing. There was so much I did not know. I was forced to fight in a legal system I did not understand. The bald judge in the black robe, the defense attorney with the narrow glasses, Brock with his lowered chin, his unsmiling father, the appellate attorney. The obstacles became harder. I was up against men more educated, more powerful than me, the game rougher, more graphic, serious. I read comments that laughed at my pain. I remember feeling helpless, terrified, humiliated. I cried like I'd never cried before. But I remember the attorney's still shoulders as guilty was read. I know Brock slept 90 days in a stiff cot in a jail cell. Uh, I guess it was only three months. Oh, my God. I was going to ask how much time yeah. was actually served. I've thought so little about him in this book. I, I really don't care. Good. The judge will never step foot in a courtroom again. The appellate attorney's claims were shut down. One by one, oh, because they tried to overturn. They mm-hmm. 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 One by one, they became powerless, fell away. And when the dust settled, I looked around to see who was left. Only Emily Doe. I survived because I remained soft, because I listened, because I wrote, because I huddled close to my truth, protected it like a tiny flame in a terrible storm. Hold up your head when the tears come, when you are mocked, insulted, questioned, threatened, when they tell you you are nothing. When your body is reduced to openings, the journey will be longer than you imagined. Trauma will find you again and again. Do not become the ones who hurt you. Stay tender with your power. Never fight to injure. Fight to uplift. Fight because you know that in this life, you deserve safety, joy, and freedom. Fight because it is your life, not anyone else's. I did it. I am here. Looking back, all the ones who doubted or hurt or nearly conquered me faded away, and I am the only one standing. So now, the time has come. I dust myself off and go on. And that is a brief, wow, brief telling oh of God. Know My Name, a memoir. Lisa, thank you for 
bringing us this book today? Just, it's not an easy book. It's not an easy book, but do you do you see why for me I felt it healing in the sense of like calling out the blatant discrepancy that we've talked about, about yes. how we value men's potential over yeah. women's. Yeah, I, I just feel like going into 2020, I don't want to forget what happened in 2016. Yeah. I want to hold the media accountable. Mm-hmm. I want to call out misogyny when I see it. Yes. And I want to... Um, I want to hold individuals accountable when I hear them talking in a way that doesn't allow for women to be equal partners in the conversation moving right. forward. Or false equivalencies. Yeah, or... I mean, Me Too has happened since then, and I, I, don't, I don't want us to forget that. Yes, and and I, I now have a better vocabulary than I had about these subjects five years ago say yeah but if you don't have a way to talk about it because oftentimes I remember feeling like wait I know it's unfair and I feel so frustrated that I can't talk about it in a way that sort of dismantles what's being talked about in front of me and then the conversation gets shut down if you don't have language about it because somebody just sort of goes you're just being hysterical and like boys will be boys and if you don't have the language to combat that in the moment it stops everything right there, you yeah. know. So like, I, I feel like I would just tell that person to shut the fuck up. Well, but yeah, but but everybody, people who are listening right now, are at all different stages you're of right. life and all different stages of awareness. And I think for me, it's when it's more insidious, right? Yes, like when the reporter says something about Warren's. Well, we saw it in Hillary. We yeah. we heard more about her emails than we did about her policy. We yeah. heard more about her emails than we did about anybody's policy. Yeah. That is a problem. Yes. So a hundred percent. That that's what I, I really want to hold. I want to be able to r- r- write to reporters and editors and say, "You've got a problem right now." Yeah. So that's that's what I that's that's my own personal attack. Totally. And I want to be able to say to someone who's sitting in front of me yeah. when they say, "Well, her emails are as bad as him talking about sexual assault on the bus." I want to be able to shoot. Them I want right to be. Face. A, that's it. <laughs> um, and violence aside, uh, I. <laughs> It, it I find it incredibly helpful to read someone's words like yeah. like Emily slash Chanel. Yeah. Right. And say, oh no, now I have a language yeah, to say absolutely. to you and to put into words those frustrating feelings. So um I'm gonna dive into the questions Let's we always it. ask at the end of every book. Let's do it. Did this book need to be written? One hundred percent. It needed to be written um a thousand years ago, yeah. but um wasn't able to be written until now. And I think if not for her victim impact statement that has been shared yeah. millions of times yeah. and resonated with millions of women around the world, uh, I don't think that we would have been ready for this. Well, and it's really being – it was published at, like, the most poignant time just past – like, three and a half years of Trump and Me Too and Time's Up and Brett Kavanaugh and all of these insane things. Yeah. By the way, what are these fucking names? Brett? Brock? Sorry to anybody listening who's named Brett or Brock, but like, that's just such a dude's name, just such a white dude's name. Yeah. But Chet, thank you, <laughs> Chip. But anyway, it, it's Chad. Right and right before this election, it's like the most poignant time to keep, you know, for her to come out with this language, and it feels like it's sort of like culminating. Dan, at this really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love my uncle Dan so much, and mm-hmm. he's a really great person. And a white guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it feels like we've covered what she got right. What did she get wrong?
it was tough. It's a memoir, yeah. right? So I don't. I, I'm not going to tell her she got anything wrong in her memoir, right? Because through it's the her lens, experience. that's right. Through yeah. the lens of self help, uh, it was tough for me to weave in. Like, there's a lot of societal, mm-hmm. individual, interpersonal happening all throughout. Yeah. Um, and she, I think, purposely leaves that up to the individual to kind of surmise where that stuff is happening, right? Right. So she right, doesn't right, right. kind of lay it out for you. Right. But she's also fine. not a researcher who's saying, no. I'm going to do a, no. a report on how society is, right? No. Right. So she fucking nailed it, sounds like. I mean, it's her story. Yeah. So as a memoir, I can't critique it. Yeah. As, through the lens of self-help, I yeah. will say there are individual, interpersonal, and societal levels like yeah. happening throughout. And it's it's hard to kind of keep those, you know what I mean? Because it, it, her writing is beautiful. Right. And it, it eloquently goes from like zero feet to 50,000 yeah. feet and back down. But she said, I mean, in terms of what to do with that, I don't know how yeah. to take action on that. And she's, I don't, but I don't think that was the purpose of her book. Yeah. I thought her words were really powerful. Uh, I can just, see why you were saying she's such a great writer. She is a great writer. That flame in the wind, the tiny flame in, in a raging storm is just such a beautiful image. Yeah. So who's this book perfect for and who's it terrible for? I think this book is terrible for uh, anybody who is a victim of sexual assault and is not uh, interested in reading about it. Yeah, um, I think it's perfect for anybody who would like to be a better ally to mm-hmm. victims of sexual assault, to anybody who has suffered sexual assault uh, and is ready to read about another person's assault, to anybody who has suffered sexual assault but has never been through the process of uh, the criminal trial. It was fascinating to learn about mm-hmm. that. Um, the inner workings. The again. inner workings of it and what it's like for a victim in that. And then to just know that the little things that you can do as a human being walking through the world mm-hmm. to make it easier for people who have been victims. And let's face it, out of half of the population, a quarter of the people you meet in the world have been victims, I would say, of, of assault and those or are the harassment. ones that report Well, that's what I'm going to estimate, right? Yeah. If say, so if I say 25% of the population of yeah. the entire world. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, did you try anything from this book? Um, did I try? Not that it was like a, hey, here's what you can do sort of I thought a lot about her theme of how this one incident that she didn't even remember rippled out and impacted her life, her sister's life, her family's life, her boyfriend's life, her friend's life. Yeah. You know, everyone. And the amount of time and emotional labor and energy that it took was spanning months and years. Yeah. And will still continue. Yeah. Um, And think about if it hadn't gone the way that it did if he'd been acquitted, like how that would have impacted. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I guess that was the thing that I started thinking about is the amount of cost, yeah. emotional cost, labor costs for people just sitting kind of like zoning out at their desk yeah. or having to leave work early. The yeah. cost to society, yeah. both emotional, um, you know, physical labor, et cetera. Of sexual assault. Mm. I thought about that a lot. Great. And I think that that's something that we don't really study. Yeah. Because I think it would be too overwhelming. Yeah. I think we would really kind of be ashamed and and kind of crumble under it. Yeah. Well, like she says, look closer. Right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. And you've assigned me that homework to think about how many hours I've thought about energy I've spent. If you can estimate. But also, I'm going to self-assign myself more. And I already do this a lot. But like... Just making sure friends get home safely and, like, yeah. being, 
You know what I mean? Like always, my family, spending the extra my parents 10 always drove to, the people home. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I already, I already do that. But like, you know, maybe thinking about the larger picture versus like my own comfort, like, oh, it's past midnight and I'm really tired and I like to get to bed, but a 20 minute round trip yeah. to help a friend, yeah. you know, could be amazing. Or even just the offer. Yeah. Um, Lisa, great job. Thank you. And thanks, everybody, for hanging in. If you stayed or had to chop it up into bits, I salute you. And Misty, thanks for listening. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough to hear. But it's so necessary. This is this is happening all around us, and like she she had that great quote about like denying the darkness won't make your light shine brighter, or That's you right. know, or whatever That's whatever right. that that beautiful quote was that I'm butchering. Um, I mean, God, I just want her to keep writing. Yeah. So this was one of the more serious episodes, and I loved it. Thank you, and Thank thanks you. for going on this ride with us, guys. Yeah, and. Um, Tell God. us what you think. Well, and also thank you for for those still listening. Thanks for holding this space. Yeah. Kudos to you for um holding this safe space. Yeah. You know, and and allowing for this conversation to happen wherever you are. Yeah. You know, it's not an easy conversation to have. And and God, we just think you're fucking amazing. Yeah. I, I her words are so powerful. I've covered literally, it was like you know, I did my highlights in Kindle, and then I exported yeah. them. It was like three percent of the book. Oh my! Gosh. Maybe maybe five. So yeah. So if you want to know so more, much more. Yeah, yeah. Or if you, I mean, I might just buy the book to support the author and yeah. not read it until I'm ready, yeah. or maybe never read it. You yeah. know, like whatever your your comfort level is, but you can still support. Yeah. You know, even even if you're if that's something you desire to do. I wish it were like mandatory reading for all incoming freshmen. To college, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Or even like high, well, freshman, yeah. probably college, yeah. Well, everyone, have a great day. Take good care of yourself. Yes. If this is triggering, lots of self-care, deep yes. breaths, deep basic breaths. bitch candles. Basic you know I'm going to light candles. a basic bitch candle. Ooh, drink some water. <laughs> Thank you. Hydrate. <laughs> and with that, everybody, life, life is, is abundant. abundant. Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less, was produced by Misty Stinnett, Lisa Linky, and Matt Sav. Our theme song was also written by Matt Sav. He's amazing. <laughs> do you want to get in touch? You do. Email us at gohelpyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. And you know you can also find us on the social medias, Instagram at gohelpyourselfpodcast, Twitter at podcast, or check out our website, gohelpyourselfpodcast.com. And if you liked our podcast, please subscribe, rate and review us on iTunes to help other people discover our show. It's really the least you can do. And why don't you tell all of your friends? Bye! Bye.